In Time Magazine's list of the 100 most influential people of 2015, the inclusion of Chimamanda and the author, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, is justified on three main counts. Firstly, for having her TED Talk turned mini-essay, We Should All Be Feminists, sampled on a track by Beyonce. Secondly, for winning the National Book Critics Award for her third novel, Americana. And thirdly, for having the film rights to that novel optioned by the actor, Lupita Nyong'o. Now, these high-profile celebrity and institutional endorsements demonstrate Adichie's talent for gaining media exposure. Her TED Talk, The Danger of, the Sing- of a Single Story, for instance, has received over 10 million views on the company's website since it was recorded in 2009. However, Time Magazine's account of the author's global impact ends on quite a different note. Rather than reinforcing the role of awards or pop singers in Adichie's burgeoning stardom, Radhika Jones, the writer of the piece, gestures to the literary and political substance which, for her, undergirds Adichie's celebrity. She writes, and I quote, Her greatest power is as a creator of characters who struggle profoundly to understand their place in the world. Now, in this quotation, Jones puts her finger on a tension that I believe goes to the heart of the author's rise to fame, between her skills as an author of complex characters and rich worlds on the one hand, and her ability to harness the popular media on the other. However, Jones is unable to reconcile these differences in her brief description. So in order to try and bridge the conceptual gap between Adichie's literary and celebrity talents, this paper explores the significance of one thematic preoccupation in Adichie's work, which Jones does not mention in her piece, but which I suggest enables Adichie to traverse different styles and genres in her work, to speak at registers at once popular and literary, and to negotiate both national and cultural boundaries, namely her fashion politics. So despite garnering critical claim for her first two novels, Purple Hibiscus, released in 2003, which was the recipient of the Commonwealth Writers' Prize for Best First Book, and Half of the Yellow Sun, from 2006, which won the Orange Prize for Fiction, it was not until the publicity campaign for her third novel, Americana, which was released in 2013, that Adichie came to be viewed in the media as an international public intellectual and celebrity, rather than simply as a kind of talented author from Nigeria. So... Yeah, um, this is the cover of uh, her second novel, uh, the hardback British version, or I think also American version of Americana. So when publicising Americana, a transatlantic romance about a young Nigerian woman who migrates to the US, Adichie repeatedly responds to questions, or responded to questions about the significance of hair in the novel. For example, in an interview for Channel 4 News, Adichie agreed with the journalist John Snow's suggestion that many, of, many elements of herself, including her hair, are woven into the book. And she replies, and I quote, it's a political thing. Black women's hair is political. When subsequently asked whether she was making a political statement by choosing not to straighten or relax her hair, which is a big preoccupation of of the novel, Adichie responded that while she doesn't intend to make a statement with her appearance, she inevitably does. And adding that it's because people make assumptions about the significance of her hairstyles. So in this interview, we can perceive the way Adichie deftly uses a manifestation of fashion, hair, to both imbricate herself in the narrative of her novel and but also distance herself from very definitive or reductive readings of her clothing choices. While fashion is clearly very political for Adichie, she's at pains to argue that it doesn't always have to be about politics, that fashion gestures inwards to one's sense of self as much as it presents a kind of particular version of oneself to the outside world. So, uh, yeah... So, um, Ulrich Lehmann offers such a definition of the significance of fashion, describing it as, and I quote, the supreme expression of that contemporary spirit. It changes constantly and remains necessarily incomplete. 
It is transitory, mobile, and fragmentary. For Lehman, close fashion identities and express this contemporary spirit because they function and negotiate the interface between the individual and the collective. Uh, Judith Pirani and Norma Wolf, the second quotation, further theorise the social role of quote, uh, clothing, arguing, putting on clothes always involves intent. The individual enters the social arena dressed to achieve certain perceived goals. In the quest to express one's personal worth, an individual can draw upon a rich vocabulary of cloth and clothing to express prestige, proclaim group membership, or challenge tradition. So although hair and dress and fashion are important signifiers and mediators of identity and broader political issues in Americana, this thematic preoccupation is central to all of Adichie's fiction and, I argue, public intellectual work. Uh, this is, so these are the uh, UK, um, UK paperback cover designs for her for first three novels, and you know how um, sort of the um, recurrent image of, of the face of a, of a black woman, I think, is a girl on the, the left is used in all these images, um, which is kind of highly ornamented. Um, these could be fashion images, and it's, it just always, it's always struck me, and it's worth um, reinforcing that from the beginning, so from Plibiscus in 2003, this kind of notion of a kind of fashioned um, body image um, is always kind of central to her marketing campaigns. So uh, this paper offers a broad account of the author's portrayal of fashion in different media, arguing that Adichie uses the transformative and multi-layered power of the fashion body to disseminate her politics about, around the globe. And referring to theories of adaptation, I further contend that Adichie's fashion politics open up a transmedia space where she can both develop her political position on issues like gender and race and appeal to a diverse audience from different cultures and socioeconomic contexts. So I'm now going to engage with Adichie's use of fashion in her acclaimed TED talk turned published essay, We Should All Be Feminists. I thought it was interesting that this is the cover, um, cover design, the British version of um, the published text. And they chose not to use a, um, the, the figure of, of a woman, but I, it was interesting. These kind of these abstract spheres, kind of because the, the, the text is all about kind of equal, gender equality, and that they sort of they kind of gestured to that kind of um, equality, but, but between different groups, and that could be kind of gender or racial. I think that's kind of Im implicit. Uh, okay, so Adichie first gave the talk in December 2012 at the. TEDx Houston conference in London, which is an offshoot of the main TED Talk series that aims to present African ideas worth spreading. Adichie notes in the foreword to the book adaptation that her brother and best friend are part of the organising team. So you can see she has a kind of personal connection to the TEDx Houston series. And also because um, the original uh, talk was given in December 2012, that's just before uh, Americana was published, it's also feeding into the publicity campaign for her third novel. So it, in the foreword, Adichie also intimates her motivation for speaking about feminism in the talk by linking it with her 2009 TED talk, The Danger of a Single Story. The early piece explores the way stereotypes shape and limit our ideas. Um, and Adichie argues in We Should All Be Feminists that feminism is the notion particularly constrained by stereotypes. So Adichie takes on various stereotypes about feminism at the beginning of the talk, where she playfully self-identifies as, I quote, a happy African feminist who does not hate men and who likes to wear lip gloss and high heels for herself and not for men. The tongue-in-cheek quality of this quotation runs through all of Adichie's interviews and talks. But in this instance, it works to undercut some historical preconceptions about feminism, that it is incompatible with femininity and fashion, that it is man-hating and bra-burning, and that it is un-African. 
This works to cast feminism as an accessible and inclusive symbol of gender equality around the world, a rhetorical move which is reinforced in the talk through the employment of anecdotes from Adichie's own experience of gender inequality in Nigeria as well as the US, and from friends in both those countries, which further kind of diversify her argument. And then so this motivation to kind of make her text uh, speak to lots of different spaces is seen, it's kind of, uh, ex- helps explain why um, the Swedish women's lobby decided along with the Swedish government, to give a copy of the text to every 16-year-old in Sweden uh, in order to kind of show that why this is such an important um, sort of gesture towards a gender equality. Adichie's interest in the way words and stereotypes imaginatively clothe ideas is also used to explore the effect of gender inequality on men in the text, especially the argument that strong women have a tendency to emasculate men in public. She argues, quote, what if we decided to simply dispose of that word? And I don't know if there's an English word I dislike more than this, emasculation. Thus, Adichie's interest in fashion, both as a material marker and a discursive process of identity formation, enables her to traverse multiple facets of the issue of gender in her talk. But Adichie's fascination with the unifying and political force of fashion was present in her writing long before she became a well-known public intellectual. In her second novel, Half of Yellow Sun, which is set during the turmoil of 1960s Nigeria and culminates in the bloody Nigeria-Biafra civil war, the author uses fashion to explore an array of themes, including the effect of trauma and violence on bodies, issues of identity and gender politics and social contexts, class relations and literary traditions in Nigeria. Now, as I don't have time to engage with all these topics, I want to trace the significance of fashion in one particular scene from that novel, just to kind of demonstrate its importance. So early in chapter one, which is told from the houseboy Ugu's perspective, Ugu first lays eyes on Alana, the daughter of an Igbo chief who is in a relationship with, and later marries, Ugu's master, Odenibo. When Ugu sees Alana, his gaze imaginatively transforms her body. Ugu, it's a quotation, Ugu was washing master's linen in the backyard, near the lemon tree, when he looked up from the basin of soapy water and saw her standing by the back door, watching him. At first, he was sure it was his imagination, but Alana was really at the door. She was walking across the yard towards him. She had only a wrapper tied around her chest, and as she walked, he imagined that she was a yellow cashew, shapely and ripe. Uh, And just kind of referring to the um, uh, earlier panel, I think um, I I hadn't really thought about this as kind of a performative scene, but it's really interesting how she's kind of framed by the the door, and then she kind of enters the scene. uh, Maybe there is a kind of performance of gender going on here, which um, a kind of theatrical performance. So the wrapper is a unisex fashion in both Igbo and Yoruba cultural traditions that consists of a large piece of fabric tied around the body of the wearer. The traditional textile detail of the wrapper tied around um, Alana's chest frames Ugu's imaginative reading of her body as a cashew nut, which resonates with the historic conflation of the bodies of African women with the land as symbols of tradition and nation. But Ugu's fantasy also sexualizes Alana's body, demonstrating the very kinds of problematic gender stereotypes Adichie critiques in We Should All Be Feminists. In the essay, she decries the historic influence of gender expectations on girls and women, and says, and I quote, the problem with gender is that it prescribes how we should be, rather than recognizing how we are. But while Ugu's male gaze reduces Alana's body to an idealized image of womanhood in this moment, this sublimation, which is facilitated, I'd argue, by the textile detail of the wrapper, is also a response to the stark class divide that separates them. So Dagmar Vanoa argues in an essay on the significance of fashion, imagery, and literature that, and I quote, the use of textiles in languages is 
is of great value because it always offers more than just a metaphorical content, end quote. So this notion of textile and textual materiality is, he goes on to add, a structural indication for another text level found not under or behind the obvious, but within. So the description of Alana's fashioned body thus acts as a kind of textual index for a deeper negotiation of gender and class politics in this scene. And these social boundaries are subsequently complicated when Alana offers to help Agul rinse out the sheet he is washing. He twisted his end of the sheet to his right, or she twisted to her right, and they watched as the water was squeezed out. The sheet was slippery. Thanks, Ma, he said. She smiled. Her smile made him feel taller. The sheet, a textile object and sign, both materially and symbolically connects Agul and Alana across imaginative and social boundaries. It also begins to challenge Agu's initial reaction to Alana's image, an experience which is edifying for the young man, which makes him feel taller. Fashion therefore works off a multifaceted critique of different stereotypes in Adichie's work. And it's interesting, because in, in We Should All Be Feminist, um, she actually makes the point that she doesn't think gender inequality should be um, conflated with class um, inequality, that they aren't the same issue. But when um, talking about her experience of growing up in Nigeria, she um, says in a, 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 an article for Elle magazine, another kind of interesting kind of platform that she uses, that um, growing up, even though she was of quite a privileged background, an interest in appearance and fashion was something that cut across Nigerian society, which kind of gives her, um, it means that she can identify with um, people from all kind of walks of life in Nigeria. So this process of cutting across different cultural spaces through fashion takes place on the pages of Half Yellow Sun and the essay version of We Should All Be Feminists. However, this very process of cross-adaptation of imagery and motifs also cuts through the different forms which Adichie's work takes, with the author weaving her fashion politics out of very different media, YouTube videos and pop songs, as well as books and newspapers. Building on this analysis, I now want to suggest that the multimedia nature of Adichie's fashion politics has transfigured her work into a transmedia phenomenon. So transmedia storytelling is uh, develops when stories become so complex that a whole multimedia universe expands around them. And Dan Hassler Forrest and Pascal Nicholas argue that in the age of transmedia, uh, in this transmedia age, global power dynamics become more explicitly political. Um, yeah. So the transmedia thus represents, and I quote, a continual negotiation of existing social, cultural, and economic hierarchies that can be reaffirmed but also challenged by the new ways in which adaptations are circulated and appropriated. So as with fashion's ability to negotiate multiple layers of meaning and identity, Adichie utilises transmedia storytelling to both challenge existing traditions and social hierarchies and to reinforce the proliferation of her own distinctive image and stories in different formats. And um, the fact that um, she was very keen for Half of Yellow Sun to be adapted into a, uh, into a film, which, which it was done, um, starring Tandy Newton and Chiwetel uh, Ejiofor, um, and so that sort of shows that um, she was very keen for the story to be able to kind of take on a kind of wider um, audience. Uh, okay, so this image is taken from Adichie's month-long fashion blog for Vogue UK titled Today I'm Wearing, in which the author dons a combination of Nigerian tailoring, European and American fashion brands, and her own designs. I think that's kind of, yeah, she talks about she's made her own necklace. Uh, the blog thus works to emphasise her transnational identity through reference to the layering of different cultures upon her body. 
And she often states in interviews that she splits her time between Nigeria and the US, despite always self-identifying as Nigerian. Like, it's very important that she's kind of, she has these two sort of homes. By mixing text with image and materiality, and by harnessing the highly accessible and personal qualities of media forms such as internet blogging, Adichie's striking icon and discourse have become enmeshed and have been widely circulated, taking on a, I would argue, transmedia dimension. This has enabled her to overcome the sorts of intellectual, cultural and socioeconomic hierarchies that might be expected to limit the global appeal of, literary, of a literary author from Nigeria. So Adichie also makes reference to her own fashioned body in We Should All Be Feminists. She uses the story of a past job interview where she wore an ugly, manly suit instead of her preferred lip gloss and high heels to talk about the tendency for women to wear masculine outfits in order to try to be taken seriously. She reflects on the experience... I wish I had not worn that ugly suit that day. Had I the confidence I have now to be myself, my students would have benefited even more from my teaching. It was a, a teaching job interview. Because I would have been more comfortable and more truly myself. We see here how the writer makes reference to her body to make a broader point about the negative impact of gender inequality on women, while also authenticating her public image as someone who has come to prominence precisely because her bold fashion choices now reflect her true self. And this strategy of self-promotion, which is translated across different genres and forms, has been instrumental in Adichie's development as a public intellectual and celebrity, uh, literary celebrity. And a couple of interesting side notes. I attended a, uh, a book group, reading group, of We Should All Be Feminists uh, last week at Sussex. And we talked about that the group kind of agreed that generally we didn't think it was the most sort of groundbreaking feminist argument. But that they, some people had talked about giving, say, the story to their daughter or giving it to a teacher who presented it to, um, uh, young, uh, to children at, at school and how they'd really responded to the text. And another interesting side note is about Adichie's own self-fashioning, that she actually was first published, she was published before Purple Hibiscus, and she took the name Amanda Adichie, which is the anglicised version of her name. So it's interesting how her own kind of how now her, her name is so kind of important in kind of this kind of blazing her identity and how that she's had to kind of negotiate kind of different versions of that, how she kind of clothes herself. However, uh, um, okay, yeah. However, some critics have drawn attention to the limitations of Adichie's fashion enterprise. Erin John Spees suggests in the abstract to her own paper on the writer's rise to fame that, quote, Adichie's continuous appeal has traded on the expectation that she market herself as an object of intellectual consumption. Unlike her contemporary male peers, like Dave Eggers, as a woman, Adichie cannot be a public intellectual solely based on her writing. And although I agree that Adichie markets herself in a way that the majority of white male authors do not, and this difference is certainly influenced by the historical development of ideas of uh, gender and race, to imply that the Western media is simply exploiting Adichie, or that the author is powerless to prevent her body from being commodified or exoticised, is to ignore the self-reflexive and playful way she uses image and fashion politics to deliver her interventions on a far larger scale, I would argue, than many public intellectuals are able to do. Now, I want to conclude by gesturing to one particularly striking area of critique, notably Adichie's involvement in the controversy around Beyonce's gender politics, which took on a very different quality after We Should All Be Feminist was featured on the singer's track Flawless. And um, it's, very, uh, it's very interesting that Flawless, the title track, it, it, Adichie's name is on it. It says Flawless 
featuring Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and I've spoken to countless friends of mine who aren't interested in her, or have maybe not read her novels, but have said to me, oh, aren't you interested in this, this woman because of the um, Beyoncé connection? So, uh, Fiona McCade, so yeah, so this is uh, Beyoncé, this is one of her kind of world tours, and I think often what would happen is, at the beginning of her show, the kind of, there'd be this sort of feminist would be kind of um, put, um, uh, shown, and also lines from We Should All Be Feminists, which I think Adichie's voice would often be used as well. Fiona McCade argues in an article for The Scotsman that Beyoncé's self-proclaimed feminism is tokenistic and problematic, because unlike her husband Jay-Z, she has to promote and sexualise her body in order to sell records. Now, this accusation is arguably comparable to Spies' argument that systemic cultural attitudes towards gender and race have kind of forced Adichie to foreground her own body when publicising her writing. But Adichie speaks directly to this criticism in an interview with Zadie Smith, arguing that to choose to own one's own body and sexuality in the way Beyoncé does is not an unfeminist act. She also speaks out against those who would treat feminism as a small, exclusive clique and calls for it instead to be a raucous and inclusive party. <coughs> And this belief in the inclusivity of feminism has been reiterated by Adichie's desire not to be labelled as an Afropolitan writer. So this portmanteau, Afropolitan, was coined by the writer Tai Selassie, which for her classifies a new generation of cosmopolitan and trendy Africans living in the diaspora. And although it's easy to see why this term might be applied to Adichie, she resists it precisely because the idea privileges the identity of an elite group who feel so distinct from the majority of Africans that they require a new name to distinguish them. Now, Hilde Hendrickson describes the subversive potential of the body thus. The body is perhaps the quintessential subversive object sign, since it refers almost inevitably to individual as well as to group intentions and identities, which are always at issue and at risk in a changing plural social and cultural world. Now, I've argued in this paper that Adichie's fashion body and the portrayal of bodies in her work act as an intersectional and transmedia index, enabling the writer to both engage with broad political issues and to disseminate her message across diverse social and cultural worlds. And although the intended statements presented through the body are always at risk of being appropriated and augmented in our modern media age, Adichie's dynamic use of fashion always foregrounds the dangers as well as the transformative potential of the body politic. Her work demonstrates that political interventions are not the sole preserves of novels or articles in The New Yorker, but that music videos and glossy magazines can deliver messages too. So while it's true that Adichie uses fashion as much for the purposes of self-promotion as to make public interventions, I hope to have demonstrated that her fascination with clothing and dress always involves much more than a mere quest for fame and glory. Adichie's fashion politics are a profoundly personal expression of her identity and humanity, and an innovative source of inspiration for her storytelling. Traits which, I believe, have enabled her to forge a powerful connection with her readership and audience. In a world where debates about identity are becoming increasingly polarised along nationalist, racial, religious and economic lines, and often taking place on kind of the social media platforms, Adichie's deployment of fashion does vital and empowering work by challenging preconceptions about different groups and by inspiring people in very diverse contexts to strive for change. This sentiment is summed up at the very end of We Should All Be Feminists, where Adichie simply writes... All of us, men and women, must do better. Thank you.